stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Howdy and welcome to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. By gee, we're way past 100 and this is fantastic. Today I'm going to talk about um, mental health again and I've had a few guests on who have, you know, uh, talked about their struggles with mental health. And when I say struggles, you know, I don't like to uh, say that as a negative thing because, you know, it has been hard on them and they've hit rock bottom and then they've come out the other side um, doing amazing things and sort of use their adversity, um, you know, to, to build a platform to, to change the world. And I, I absolutely love that. Essentially getting off the bench to do something really great out of a shitty situation. Today's guest is Mark McManus, and uh, this story is going to blow your mind. Um, you know, a happy kid reasonably and with a bit of anxiety, loving his footy, and then takes um, one pill and his whole life went into an absolute spiral. And so, you know, he'll talk about, um, you know, the, the, the rehab, talk about the addiction, talk about what it did to his family. And, you know, as a trigger, you know, if that's if it's going to be too hard for you to listen, maybe you don't want to, but I hope you do because he's come out the other side and it's he's really providing hope for people and, you know, tr- tr- talking about prevention and education and, and hoping that through his uh, project, the restoration project, you know, that he can, well, you know, help a lot of people, but I guess the, at the end of the day, the big crux is, you know, hoping he can save some lives. So this is a story you're not going to want to miss. It is just fantastic. I love Mark with all my heart and you're going to love him too, I guarantee. What a, what a story and he's so vulnerable, so raw, and his story just needs to be out there. So let's just get into it. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me on, Karen. Um, we've been speaking about it for a while now. It's um, fantastic to finally sit down with you and, yeah, and talk about all things Restoration Project. And, and all things Mark as well, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, definitely all things Mark. <laughs> well, all things Mark is what started the Restoration Project. and yeah. I. I, I've been, um, you know, hanging to have this conversation with you because, you, as you know, I just absolutely adore you. I love what you're doing. Um, and it, it, it matters to me that, you know, people who have been through a journey, you know, have got the courage and the humility and the vulnerability, you know, to bring that out to help other people. And I just think that's how we get a better world. So I absolutely adore you for that. So I'm so happy to have you on here. 
Thanks so much, Karen. You know, the feeling is more than mutual. Yeah, I was waiting for that. Yeah. Very much enjoyed <laughs> you too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. So in the intro, I um yep. you know, we covered a lot of stuff like um you know, how things were going for you and you got into, things got really bad for you. But before we get into that, like, what was life like for you as a kid and a teenager? Yeah, life was fantastic. Um, Very, had a fantastic upbringing. Um, Mum and dad, uh, dad was a, um, been a hard worker Um, his whole life. Mum was a, a fantastic caring, doting, mother they always we never went without um, they always done their absolute best um, to provide whatever um, us kids needed we didn't go without anything at all um, all done through lots of hard work the dogs have just come for another quick visit um, yeah so I, live, I grew up in Hayfield so a small town in Gippsland um, sorry can I'll just pass this dog Apologies about that. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Hayfield, um, small timber town, obviously a lot of sawmills and a really proud sporting community. And as a young man, that's what I was especially drawn to was that sporting that sporting culture and football and, and cricket. Um, went to primary school in Hayfield. Um but looking back now, Karen, it was very, very evident that even as a young, young boy that I had some mental health issues mm. very early on, mm. like extremely early on. Um, but it was a very normal childhood. Um, one thing as me, as I, looking back now, I was such a worrier. I was always worried um, about everything. And as a, and that's probably pretty unusual for, for a young child. Um, and now, like that, I know anxiety and those kind of kind of things. I kind of talk about anxiety and and that feeling of the um, feeling of impending doom. Just that there's always something around the corner. Like you're just worried about something going wrong. And and I just grew up with that kind of knot in my stomach, like from. For, since I can remember mm. but there was one thing that took that away and that was sport so once I'd get out on that ground or whether it be football cricket basketball mm. that would go and it was, that was just my that was my comfort zone was yeah. sport and you know it's funny isn't it when you talk about uh, as you look back at when you were a kid, there was always mental health issues. But back then, it wouldn't have been spoken about. And back then, it would have just been, what are you worried about? You know, everything's good and sort of brushed under the carpet, you know, and that sort of stuff. Not not that doesn't mean that you had bad parents, you, you know, but no, back then, we no. didn't talk about that stuff. And it was kind of like, you know, what's this kid anxious about? You know, oh, you'll be right, you'll be right. And, and yeah. we, we didn't deal with stuff very well back then, you know, it's and it's only been since I've gone through what I have in me later life that you become a lot more retrospective and mm. and look back at those early behaviours and how you felt as a child and because you're trying to get sense out of why you may have gone down the track that that you did and um, and looking back now it's just was just so evident that um, I had really really bad anxiety from from a young kid and especially around um, schooling. 
not so much primary school, but I remember the transition from primary to high school. And I remember that, like, you remember going from year six to seven. And to me, that was just absolutely petrifying. It, I was so, so scared. But it was, once again, it was sport that carried me through that, like, football and playing and I played some really good football as a, as a youngster and, and as a young man as well. So it was kind of something that I'd be able to make friends through because, like, I was okay at it. And, like, and then when I went to sale um, and then got into with all the other blokes from, from sale and that kind of stuff, it was just it was just what carried me through all my anxiety was, and especially football. Yeah, yeah. And it was probably one of those things too that you you never talked about either. You know, it's like I'm not, I'm not going to talk about this because people will judge me or people will excuse, exclude me or reject yeah. me, you know, that sort of stuff. And I think that's worse. You know, we carry that sort of stuff, um, shove it down, you know, and it actually makes it 10 times worse when it finally does express itself and, you know, yeah. and that's what happened to you anyway so and in all honesty like I didn't even know that I felt that way as I said it's only because it's only been a very retrospective thing to look back on and say and now understand how I'm geared now to actually yeah. say, okay now I understand why you were like that as, as a young as a, as, a, as a child and perhaps maybe even you might have thought that everyone else felt the same like That's right you yeah. don't know no, it's and funny. I remember like being um, and football was kind of my my dream, as in like I thought um, like all of us young blokes and that we want to play in the AFL. That's the that's a dream. And at the time when I was at Hayfield, they had a really successful period. I think there was four boys that from a real small town that were playing in the AFL. So that dream seemed like it could become a reality if you were able to work at it and uh, and have a fair income crack and it's funny I, I went to when I went to high school um, and then I started playing against some blokes from sale and some blokes that a lot of them went on to actually play AFL and I, I realized pretty quick that I probably wasn't up to that to that high level so but still football was a great outlet for me yeah uh, so which team which team were you hoping to play for in AFL? Well, would have to be the pies. Ah. I, <laughs> the pies. I think, I think it might have been Hawthorne back then because yeah. um, I had a cousin that played for Hawthorne, so I, I think I was going for Hawthorne back then. <laughs> and, uh, changed to the pies and probably the worst thing I ever did. <laughs> I love it. Well, what what um so what happened? Like, let's get into the nitty gritty, and you know, because yeah. the story does end up well. It's a great yeah. story, but um, yeah. you know, I think that I, I do want to get into the nitty gritty because I, I want to, as you do, um, share share that story with people because I want people if they're out there feeling like, or if they're if they know someone feeling like this you know I want them to know that there's hope and I want them to know that you know they're not alone and that they can come through the other side so to talk about the shitty stuff like what happened that caused you to take that downward spiral well um it was a slow burn it was definitely a slow burn um, we moved to um, we moved from Hayfield to Terrelgan when I would have been 16 um mum and dad being selfless people Again, and that they just wanted to 
move somewhere to give us kids um, a bit more opportunity. Um, so we decided to move on from Hayfield. And as I said, and that was a really hard transition again, because transitioning from year 10 oh. to year to another high school, not knowing anyone and that anxiety and, and all that kind of stuff was just, that was a really bad around that time. Once again, football carried me through, went down to Traugan, got into a football team and away I went. So the transition was quite good. Um, went to school, but still fighting that self-worth, self-esteem, highly strung, anxious um, until um, I finished year 12. And when I was in year 12, I was lucky enough to be playing football out at Yanara at the time. And as a 17-year-old, I, I, I won a senior premiership um, with Yanara. And that was kind of like everything to me. Like that was like I thought, how good is this? And, and that, but to scoot forward, because it kind of happened to when I was around 22, I um, was playing a game of football for Yanara um, out at Ballara. And um, I broke my leg. Um, and so that one thing that I had my whole life that I felt like I was any good at um, was my comfort, it was my crutch. All of a sudden it was, it was gone um, and I couldn't play. I was drinking a fair bit around that time, around just at the pubs and that football club kind of culture and going out every weekend. But drugs had been something that I'd never, never even contemplated doing, had no interest in it at all. Um, when I broke my leg, I got really unhealthy. I found comfort in food. I should have been able to see that I was, um, I had a very addictive personality, even that, because I kind of got addicted to food. I put on a lot of weight. And then so you've got someone who's already anxious, struggles with their self-esteem and self-worth, and then I got to put on a lot of weight. So that just intensified all of those feelings. I think I was about 120 kilograms, um, really unwell. And I went out to a, a nightclub one night and um, I took one pill one night that changed the course of the rest of my life. And it, it took eight years, that one pill one night took eight years from me. Wow. And so did that, you know, you hear stories about people taking one pill, do you, you know, and there's some people that take one, um, never touch it again, it never affected them. Some people yeah. that take one and it actually kills them and other people yeah. that will take one and it, it it starts, triggers something in them and it's kind of like, well, now I want another one. Do you, and How can I get another one? Is that And that's where you, that, that was your path, wasn't it? That's exactly what it was like for me. And for me, I'm um, very conscious, Karen, about I never glorify drug use in any way because it's, it's horrendous. There's nothing there's nothing to glorify uh, about it. But that night when I took that one pill, it filled, a, it filled that thing that I thought was missing in me all the time. All of a sudden, this bloke that had no self-esteem, he could talk to this for this one night. I could talk to people at the pub and... I could um, talk to girls or I could do this and it just gave me this confidence and I was just like, wow, this is this is amazing. I can't do this stuff normally. So it was just like it was just like this super pill that gave me all this um, confidence to do all this stuff, even though the next day I obviously felt absolutely horrendous when you come down from it. But it just kind of set that 
set it in motion. And and I think that I chased that high for a long time, that first initial high of feeling that way of euphoria. And we know what it obviously do with um, drugs and your endorphins and that kind of stuff. Like, so yeah, just kind of, if I could go back and change, I say, I say that if I could go back and change one night of my life, that would be the night. But having to see where I am now and that, I honestly think I was kind of meant to go through my life's journey to come to where I am today. Mm. I hear that a lot too. You know, I speak to a lot of people and they're kind of like, it's a tragedy, you know, what they went through. And it's kind of like that was such a pivotal point you know, yes. and, and and it's it's like, wow, imagine where I'd be today. But in actual in actual fact, I like what you're saying, because if you didn't do that, and, and I don't want to glorify drugs either, no. I, I freaking hate them. Do you know, and I, I hate the assholes who sell them, do you, you know, and I just, the whole thing pisses me off something shocking. But I understand how, how people in your situation, I understand how it happens. But I, I've known too many people that have we've lost, you know, because of this this buddy thing. But you know, if you you probably could have been oh, playing amateur footy, you probably could have had a job, just an average job. You probably could have been in an unhappy relationship. You and I'm not saying that's what it would have been, but this you probably could have just had a life that you were always not quite happy. Do you know, just not quite fulfilled. But you go this 100%. way. Oh, sorry, Mark. A hundred percent agree, Karen. Like I really do, because mm. I was someone who had no. I wasn't driven at all. I had no drive, or I was working, but it wasn't like, what am I going to do with my life? I didn't have a thing where I wanted to be a Sparky, or I wanted to do this. It was just like I was. I just wanted to play country footy. Mm. <laughs> but that's all I wanted. That's kind of what I wanted to do. Like. And I, and I had a printing apprenticeship and the people that I worked, um, done my printing apprenticeship with, um, they're like my second family. And, um, yeah, they they um, see me start to, obviously I was working at this point when I started to um, take drugs and they obviously were a part of that, seeing me really start to slide. Mm. And it happened, it happened, it was, it was slowly. And so I'll progress a little bit more with that. So I took that one pill once. Might have had another one for a month, Karen. It wasn't something that I thought I'm gonna. But once I started getting doing it more often, the more I'd find that I'd chase it. So then I might do it once a month, and then I'd be doing it fortnightly, and then I'd be doing it every weekend when I went out, and then it'd kind of be Friday, Saturday night, and it just kind of progressed. It just kind of progressed like that, and and then I always said that. Um, I would never use speed. I'd only do what I was doing. And and then one time I couldn't get that and someone had some speed and I tried that. And then so that just kind of broke down another, like it's just kind of that progression. And and then at um, 28, I always said that I wouldn't um, try methamphetamine. And at the age of 28, I tried methamphetamine and, and by the age of um, th- my 30th birthday, I, I lost everything like I bought a house had a car um I had I had my beautiful had my beautiful um oldest daughter and I lost everything it was all gone it took it all away from me and and I'd like to say that that's that's kind of where then life started to get better but it got a lot worse 
before mm. I got better. Right. Yeah, and, and so and what what happened there to get worse? Like, you did, yeah, give us the give us the dirt because um, I, I think people need to hear. You know, like so far, you're just saying, you know, I, I had the drugs and it, you shouldn't do it. But I think I think we need to hear what the, the truth yeah. about what goes on behind the scenes when people really hit their darkest point. You know, because yeah. it, I, I want to deter people from, you know, going through this. Yeah, of course, and uh, and there's nothing that I stand uh, that I'm not happy to talk about, Karen. Um, yeah. So when when things like it was obviously it was obviously really bad. It got to a point where I wasn't working anymore. Um, that that job that I had, um, we made a mutual agreement that it was time to to part ways, and and that said a bit of, and that's absolutely no no nothing to do with them. But that set about a little bit of a, a spiral because I wasn't working then yeah. because I didn't have that thing that was that well I had to kind of keep it together. To go and do that, and then, and then the the use was was stepping up. I was using daily, every day, like every single day, and, and got to a point where I couldn't function um, without using. Like I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I was staying up for ridiculous periods. I was staying up for sometimes seven days at a time um, without sleep. I was in psychosis. I was having delusions of people being after me and and seeing things that weren't there um that that's when obviously it was getting pretty bad then and this was around the time when my parents found out so my parents to this point were absolutely completely oblivious they were completely they knew that there was something wrong but they they didn't know what it was they thought that I um, was an alcoholic which was probably wasn't an alcoholic but I was thinking a of what they thought I had a gambling addiction probably did I was gambling I was gambling way too much for than what I could afford to do um and so when I told them that I had a drug problem they were absolutely flawed and devastated and um just just sent them flying it just wasn't what they expected um wasn't what they brought me up or what they they seen for me um so me and dad went to La Trobe Community Health, was our first point of call. They wanted me to try and go and get some help and met a lovely lady at La Trobe Community Health. Her name is Barb Hilton. And Barb won't, mean, won't mind me talking of her. She's one of my uh, best bestest friends and she was my, my first counsellor. Uh, but when I went in to see Barb, I was obviously very unwell and, and didn't even have an understanding, Karen, that I actually had a, had a problem. And that's the that's one of the big areas with addiction is uh, here's a bloke that he'd worked his whole life and he had a house and had a car and that was all gone and you still don't think that there, there's an issue there and that's the power of addiction. So it wasn't long after that and, and things kept on um, progressing and um, putting myself in really dangerous situations. I was hanging out with um, bike clubs. Um, I was hanging out with... Um, some gangs from from down Dandenong way and I'm not built for that life Karen like <laughs> I'm not built for that I'll give you the hot tip um and yeah the family ended up having an intervention mum and dad had an in, they had an intervention and um, I was around mum and dad's house and um dad had a turn 
while they were having the intervention, we thought he was having a heart attack and um, they called the ambulance and they made me ride in the ambulance with dad. Um, Mum was obviously so angry at me because obviously it was my actions and, and that, that was making dad so unwell. And when he got out there, we'd realised that it was a, a really bad panic attack, but I was in that bad of psychosis at that time when all that was happening that I thought that, that they were... It was an act and I thought I was just obviously not in any any proper frame of mind. And anyway, when Dad got home and, and that, the next day he asked me to come in the bedroom and speak to him. He said, you know, you've got a problem, mate, and we just want you to get some help and would you come down to Melbourne and talk to this gentleman? And um, there was all the ways still that soft boy underneath everything, Karen. I was still that same little boy that had a good heart and, and that kind of stuff. So they could always still kind of talk to me. Um, so, yeah, I um, went down to Melbourne and had a, had a speak to this gentleman and they wanted me to go into rehabilitation. So and I was just like, this is what you see in the movies, like <laughs> rehab. Like, I don't need that. But, yeah, so had a, had a pretty frank conversation with this bloke and I thought I'd be able to get around him uh, and um, he said we wanted to come down to our rehab in Geelong for three months um, and I was like oh I don't need it and I'm, I'll be right I'll go home I can do it myself and he held up a photo of my daughter and um, he said do you want this girl to have a father I said of course of course I wanted to have a father he said because you're at the point now that if you don't get some help that, that you won't there's three things that happen to people um, in your um, current circumstances and there's the jails, institutions or dead and you're about to go and your option's about to go into the institution. So off I trundled. Wow. Wow. How did you, how long were you in there for? Three months. Yeah. So you three stayed months. the full term. Did, did How much do you think you changed from being in in over the in rehab over that three months lots lots like it, it it taught me a lot so it taught me about addiction I had no I had no understanding Karen mm. <laughs> I had no understanding all of addiction and that it's a that it's an illness um I just thought I was weak like I just thought I was someone that was really weak and that I couldn't stop um the, the one that I went to was called a therapeutic community and basically what that in what that involves Karen is um, just teaching you how to function again as a like as a member of society going to bed at a reasonable time waking up in the morning and they'd make you make your bed they make you have some breakfast go for a walk it was just literally getting you back into some sort of routine um, and I and and this is probably the one, and this is what you say about warts and all, Karen, and sometimes I forget, like, because it has been a, a period ago, but let's step it back into that first bit of rehab. Oh, when, when the reality set in of being there and what my life had become, I was devastated, distraught, just cried and cried and cried and cried and couldn't stop crying. Because I'm like, how did me lie? Like, how did I go from working, having friends? Um, how did I? How did I end up in rehab? Like, it was just, it was literally like a, 
like a bad movie. And and when I went in there, they had a they had me on like a Valium um, detox. They had to detox me with some amount of ridiculous amount of Valium because I was just I was just so unwell. And and mum had come had to come and do some paperwork or something one day, and and I still to this day don't remember it. They I seen them and I was speaking to them and I was upset and I was saying I'm so sorry for what I've done and they just said I, I was like a um was like a I was like the lights were on but nobody was home and I literally can't even I can't actually remember ever having that conversation with them. Wow! Imagine the pain your parents went through. Oh, and they said when I got when in got into rehab. It was like an absolute relief to them that they knew that I was safe for a small period of time because it was at the point that they were waiting for a knock on the door that um, I'd been arrested um, or or I'd, or I'd lost my life. Like that's what that's what where it was at for them. And I'd like to say that I went to rehab in Karen and then um, happy days and that she was a downhill spiral even after rehab and that's when that's when obviously the addiction took me to um, new new lows and that kind of stuff and they, they talk about in rehab and they teach about using on knowledge and when you relapse when you've been into a rehab facility it's not like when you used to use um, narcotics or anything like that. It's very different and there's a great shame attached to when you use because you know that you're letting so many people down and then the work that you've tried to put into yourself. So relapse is a horrible, relapse is a, a horrible thing for everybody involved. And addiction such a selfish, it's a, such a shelf, selfish disease like you really are, um, you really do put the people who care about you the most through the ringer. Mm. And people need to hear that, you know, because, um, you know, people who are thinking, oh, my life's shit, you know, I'm just going to take yeah. drugs and that. I think that, that that we forget, people forget how how hard it is on, on those who love you, you know, who are sitting by watching and they feel so helpless and, I can understand your, you know, your parents, you know, they love you with all their heart, but they're so bloody angry with you, you know, and why yeah. did you do this? Why did you go this way? And then there's got to be a feeling for them is what did we do wrong? What what, yeah. what did we do as parents that failed you? You know, it's... And that's a lot of the work that I can talk about a little bit later on that I do with the families that I work with now is to um, try to get them to understand that it's no fault of theirs. Yeah. And no fault of the family. Yeah. And that, and that there's, and that's another thing that's really hard for the families is there's not much that they can actually do. They can support and care. And then there's a very fine line between supporting and enabling someone's addiction. You can support someone to get well, but then if you're enabling the addiction, whether you're giving them money or constantly giving them a roof over their head, so there's no consequences for their actions, it's a very fine line between enabling and and being supportive, so um, more family, cop it. That is a huge fine line, and I've seen it. I've seen it myself in you know uh, personal circumstances. You know, is that that line is you don't want to hurt someone, and you don't want to have the consequence 
too severe, do you know, but you know that if you just slightly go the other way, you are enabling it, you know, and it's a, it's a bloody tough conversation in families. And well, before we go on to the restoration um, pro, uh, project, because that's, that's the good part and that's what yeah. I really want to talk about, make sure we get really good guts of that. But what, what was it? You said you come out of rehab and you, and you relapsed again. What, what was that thing that made you just snap and say, that's it? I'm absolutely done with this shit and I'm, I'm changing yeah. my life. Like that must have been something really big to do that. And that's the crazy thing. It actually wasn't. Oh. It actually wasn't. But that's, yeah. the, that's the, the, probably the best part about it, which showed that I was actually ready. So yeah. the, the, the big relapse I had when I got out of rehab, and this is just to give it warts and all again, it's an important part of the story to show people where addiction will take you. So... Uh, there was a gentleman I met up with in rehab um, and for the first two months of rehab, I put in a lot of work and effort and then the last month of rehab, I probably had one foot in, one foot out. I wasn't probably doing what they doing it properly and I met up with this bloke and I thought he might be a good bloke to meet up with outside if, if I'm ever going to play up or anything like that. So, yeah, I think I've been in rehab for about three months. And my poor parents, once again, as I talk, I was one of the most selfish humans ever ever known to man at this time, that they went on a holiday, um, the holiday for them to go away overseas to be able to celebrate the market, got it together and was doing well. And I, I in my selfish um, ways, thought that would be a good time to relapse. And I caught up with this bloke from the rehab and um, we, I went down to Melbourne and, and he thought it'd be a good idea when we'd come down and meet some of these blokes that he he knocks around with and, and that kind of stuff. And um, when I got there, I found out very quick, Karen, that I was an unwanted, an unwelcome guest to that house. Um, what Some of what they were doing wasn't, yeah, wasn't ideal. And um, yeah, so they, they kept me there for three days and against my will so they basically kidnapped me and they assaulted me and um yeah done all sorts of pretty average average things and um then they made me do something to basically prove my worth and they 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 let me go um and then when I was on my way home um mum and dad found out I relapsed my sister and then I had a big fight with my family and they were obviously absolutely devastated again. Um, and then they um, called the rehab and they actually said to them, what should we do? Should we send Mark back into rehab? And the rehab said, no, we don't think you should. You, you've done everything for Mark. There's actually one thing that you've only ever not done and that was cut him off. Now, that's a really big yeah. thing for families to hear as well, Karen, is actually sometimes they've got to put themselves first and you're on your own. We've done everything we possibly can for you. You're actually on your own. So they did. Hardest thing that they ever done. I had um, 24 hours to get out, get me stuff and get out of their house and they had the locks changed and I was, I was on my own. It was up to me then what I wanted to do and whether I wanted to get well. So had a couple more smaller relapses after that. I was really trying though. I was going to meetings and doing those kind of things. And and that moment for me, Karen, that you were that you asked about was one simple night. It was North Gippsland football grand final night. I went down there and had a few beers once again when I do that. 
I ended up relapsing and I, I was at a house and I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I was using and I just had, I call it a moment of clarity. Um, and I was crying when I was doing it. And I was, I just thought to myself, what are you doing? Like you're, you're crying while you're doing it. Obviously there's, obviously, well, it's not fun, mm. but obviously there, you know that this has just got to stop. So that was the day I got fair income. And that's the day I really stepped about it like and done whatever it took a bit like to, to get my recovery. But even when you make that decision, Karen, it is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in my life. The hardest. Um, wow. to that obsession um, to use. Like it's you just thought about it and, and, and dreams, like having using dreams. Um, it was just a battle, it was just a 24-7 battle for a long period. Wow. Imagine your folks, I'm trying to think as a parent, you know, saying you've got to cut off your kid and knowing in that that you could be sending them, you know, to the grave, like really because, you know, and how do you do that as a parent? Like I, I know I know there's no option. I know you get to a point where it's kind of like what, what are we going to do? And, 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 and also... You're killing your parents, you know. If if they oh, keep if they keep yeah. um, trying to do it with you, they're gonna you're gonna take their lives, you know. So I guess it comes to a point that they have to take care of themselves. That's really bloody tough. Like that. That's um that 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 hurts my heart just thinking about well both sides. How would they feel doing that to you? And then how do you feel being completely abandoned by your family? That that's and, and, and this is the shit about this, this the whole drug thing. It, it's kind of like, you know, I know a lot of teenagers say, oh, yeah, my parents are just shit, you know. But Jesus, damn, you know, you, your parents love you with all their bloody heart, you know, and we, we don't all show it the best ways. Do you, do you, but, no, but, no, that's right. I think for me, oh. like, I, I had an understanding of what I'd, by that point, I had an understanding of what I'd put them through mm. and start the and, and seeing that pain and worry. Uh, and that's so I had a good understanding of why they were doing what they were doing. Um, it was more just, and you know, honestly, it was one of the things, it kind of gave me that bit of breathing space as well, like to say, right, I haven't got mum and dad looking over my shoulder and making sure that I'm doing the right thing. Do you know what I mean? Like to be monitoring you all the time that, right, now you're on your own. You can, you're going to decide whether you're going to go and hang around with these people. You're going to get into something that's worthwhile and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so in early recovery, it was really, really tough. It was, it was super tough. Um, Every, like, there'd be times where I'd make myself go to bed, Karen, because I knew that if I didn't, that I was going to do something that I'd regret. And that went on for a year. Mm. Like, that went on for every part of a year. Like, I thought when I'd go to, um, when I was going to meetings and that, and you'd see people that are a year clean and that, and I thought that's just a miracle number. And once you get to that year that, um, you'd be okay but what I found out it wasn't actually until I started to address those issues that had 
had been an issue for me from even when I was obviously when I was a kid. When I started to address my anxiety, when I started to address my self-worth and my self-esteem, um, that's when I started to turn a corner. Yeah. That's when I started to say, hang on a second, there's more to this recovery than just the substance. And that's the thing that I, I talk to a lot of people about recovery and that kind of stuff. I know people that have long-time sobriety time, but they haven't addressed their their mental health issues and the poor things are still doing it really, really tough. You've taken away the substance, but when you go into recovery, you're meant to have a, you're meant to recover. You're meant to get a good life back. And they told me that I'd have a life beyond my wildest dreams if I did what they asked, if I, if I did the program and if I uh, got the, and sought the help that I needed. And I truly do now. Yeah. I truly do. Yep. In every aspect of my life, my life just keeps. And I look at birthdays now. Um, I've just had my birthday. And I look at birthday to birthday now. And I find that I've got so many more fantastic people coming into my life, Karen. Like you're a perfect example. Um, every year I've just got these great people coming into my life. Yep. And my life just gets richer by the year now. Well, speaking of great people coming into your life, um, your beautiful wife, uh, yeah. you know, I, I heard you speak a few weeks yeah, I've ago. Yeah, I've got to be careful what I say here, Karen, because I got on, I was on Tiff's podcast the other day and I said she was a little bit bossy. So I saw I'm, that. I might have to just be behaved today. <laughs> she, well, she's absolutely beautiful. But I saw you talk a few weeks ago and... Um, you said you said something that I wrote down because I, I wrote it in my phone because it, it just touched me so deeply. And you said that um, she loved you back to life. And oh my God, you brought a tear to my eye. You know, it's hey, tell us about meeting her because I know you said, what the hell? Why would she want yeah. me? Why would she want me? Exactly. <laughs> exactly how I feel. Well, when we mean back. Um, first met it was um, it was through a friend who was playing Cupid, bless her heart, and um, yeah, and we me and Beck got talking, and but just from the get go, I remember because generally people that would contact me, Karen, would be for support, like me because they've got a loved one who you know. So when I well, I wouldn't it's not unusual that I'll get a friend request or something from somebody that I don't know because they. Um, would have heard that, like what I do with families and that kind of stuff. But anyway, I, I got talking to Beck and we went out on a couple of dates and um, I've been someone that's always been super transparent about my past, absolutely transparent, especially in a small community and that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, Karen, people like to, to talk and that kind of stuff, so I've always made sure I've been transparent. Um, and that was one of the, the first signs that she was just different she was just different as when I told her about my problems and what I've been through it was just it was like it just didn't even register it was just like it didn't matter mm. and that was just for me a great feeling um, because at that time I hadn't had many people even even family some family um, you feel like um, from pre from what I went through, and then coming out that other side, that there was a little bit of a different feel. Um, 
for you, but for Beck that have that absolute stranger come in and just have absolutely no judgment. It was mm, how beautiful. It was just really special. And then we started seeing each other and we'd um she's built me confidence from the ground up. Like I was doing obviously doing that work on my self-esteem and self-worth and that kind of stuff anyway. But she was one of the the per- first people that ever made me just try things to get out of my comfort zone, whether because I'd be someone that out of the fear of failure, Karen, I'd prefer not to try something at all because I didn't think that I could do it. And Beck was the person that taught me, and she always used to say to me, What's the worst that can happen? Yep. <laughs> like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Done work. Who cares? And then that's kind of what I thought. And I thought, Well, wow. And then I started doing things. And I'm like, I can do that. Like I actually made that or I did this. And so it was just those kind of things. And she's like a she's like a model. Like I don't understand it, Karen. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. I don't get it. But <laughs> like, but yes, and she just literally just believed in me. Um, she'd always just say to me, I wish that you see what I see. Yeah. I was pretty absolutely busted by this point. Like I was. I was pretty like, yes, I was clean in that. I was still running pretty rough. Mm. Well, she's the, she's the one. There's no doubt about that. So, <laughs> but now we when... had our, um, had our um, who, and this is another very special thing. Uh, we had our daughter, um, Georgia, together. So I've got two beautiful girls. I've got Lacey and, and Georgie. Um, Lacey is amazing. Um, yeah, they, they make me emotional, my girls. Lisa's so beautiful and she's such a, got such a good nature. And um, and then we have Georgie, um, who my who dad called the miracle baby um, because no one thought that I was ever going to be fit enough to be a father again. Yeah. And I'm a bloody good father, Karen. I know. And I take, <laughs> and I take great I take great, great pride in being a father. Um, and obviously I made some um mistakes as a young father like when I obviously was unwell it's fantastic to be able to have that chance to do it right again um but it's also so good to be able to have that chance to be the father that my oldest girl deserves for the rest of her life as well yeah yeah wow I I just love this outcome it makes warms my heart so much it could have been disastrously different but I'm I'm actually I'm blessed too yeah there's definitely strokes of um luck luck. there's hard there's definitely hard work Karen there's definitely hard work but there was definitely a little bit of luck involved like there was instances where I was only a a, um, a knock on the door away from the very different faders like I, I would have had a, a record or in something like that and I've, I've been very lucky where I came away with no record and that hence why I've been able to do the work that I do now and in my job um, working with people with disabilities that I'm just absolutely so passionate about um, to be able to support people and to help um, because this was a bloke that couldn't help himself. Yeah. This yeah. was literally a bloke that couldn't get out of his own way um, to be able to give back now and, um, yeah, just be a good uh, member of the community. Yeah. 
Well, tell us about the restoration project because we can't actually get off this pod- podcast without right. telling us about that. And I that's, not. that's all like you giving back. So tell us like why why you started it and what you're doing with it. Yeah. So why I started it, Karen, was it kind of come to a bit of a head um, with because when people know that you have good sobriety um, and good recovery and people see you rebuild your life and see you become successful and have a good job and a family and, and that people are desperate, people who have loved ones that are suffering or they're desperate to speak to somebody that may be able to give them an answer. And I don't have answers for people, Karen. I can only ever speak about my story and, and, and what I've been through. And, and I'm very open with families and that when they speak to me, they can ask me any question that they want. And I can only speak from my experiences. So it kind of come about from that as if I'm going to, I was going to get contacted whether I liked it or not because yep. <laughs> people, people um, they, they, they're desperate. So they will ask. So I was doing a, um, a mental health walk um, that me and my uh, one of my very good friends Susie Lewis have done the last two years and we're going to do again this year um, and it started on that first one and I was discussing with Susie I, I want to do something but I don't know what it is like around um, AOD and mental health and supporting people and I don't know what it is and and I've done a little bit of speaking in that already at a couple of sporting clubs and, and that kind of stuff so the biggest thing to me that I've always thought about what could help to make a make an impact and to me the, the biggest thing that we can do to have an impact is education and prevention. Mm. Yep. If once you've already had people who have addictions and when they're in addiction, you've got to you've got to fight ahead of you. But if we can actually educate kids um, and go in and speak to them and speak your story and and, and say this is what can happen. This real life story. I've got photos. I've got horrendous photos, Karen, of when I was, and some of them I can't show. Um, I, I'll probably show probably the best, the best of how I looked in that addiction because it's even still too raw for me to look at how unwell I was. Um, and to go in there and give them a first, like give them an actual give them a visual of of what addiction can be and how simple it can be like you can take one pill not doesn't happen for everyone but it can it does happen because that's exactly what happened to me and another thing that we done for my presentations is we had a documentary made um we had a mini documentary made and it was with my parents with my best one uh, with my best friend um, my counselor and my school teacher and it gives people a, a look at addiction from a family's perspective and it's actually really powerful and I think it's really moving for kids to be able to put themselves and if that was their family as well. So it's got that it's got that view from the person who's been suffering and then it's actually got that view from the people who have had to live it and, and watch their loved one go through it. And I'm big on education and prevention um, and we're actually really starting to get some some traction now so we've been doing the sporting clubs I've got a couple more sporting clubs and I've got the one that I'm super proud of Karen I've got Kurnai College coming up this month um so happy to be able to get into the schools because that's where we can really make an impact 
Um, I've also just been asked to do um, two talks at the, um, they're putting in a drug and alcohol plan um, across um, Latrobe. Um, and I've been asked to go and speak at two events for that on, on what the, um, basically on what the services, how the services can involve um, the consumer. So it's people with lived experience and that, so they can be part of those conversations on, yeah. on what might be um, helpful. That's great. That's fantastic. So where do you, what, what are your plans for the future? Like I know you're saying I'm super proud of Kurnai and, you know, and I've got these other things, which, which is a fantastic because it's evidence that it's building. It, it, where, where do you want to go? Like how do you... I want to go into every school that there is, Karen. Yep. I want to get into every youth organisation because that's where the real impact can be made. And if I can share one story with you, yeah. um, one that I'm super proud of and I know he doesn't mind me talking about him, um, I, I, I got a, com a business reach out to me when the restoration project was really young, very, very early stages, and the company reached out to me and they said, we've got this 15-year-old kid working for us, fantastic kid, all the potential in the world, but he's taken every drug under the sun, 15 yeah. years old, taken every drug under the sun, we don't know what to do with him. Would you be able to possibly have a chat? And I said, of course, of course I can. And so we set up a breakfast and we all went out for breakfast together. And it was a simple chat, Karen. We just spoke about it. I said, what are your triggers and what's causing it? Self-esteem, self-worth, anxiety, all the usual stuff that it, that it always is. And I said, well, what we'll do is we'll put some things in the place. I got a lot of satisfaction out of exercising and, and getting fit. So I took him to a couple of fitness classes and we just started to build a bit of a relationship. And, and anyway, he um, said about his recovery and he hasn't missed a beat. He wow. hasn't missed a beat from the get-go. He's over. He sends me photos um, every month of his cake that he gets himself for being another month sober. He's over a year, over a year clean now. Um, he's doing a um, junior management course with that same company now that um, that reached out. And um, I said to him, um, "What what was it? Was there anything that was said that um, made a difference to you or made you think?" And he said that I said to him that you're too good for this. Wow, something so throw. Mm. Yeah, and so small that you're, you're too good for this. And he's 15. I didn't want him to waste another 15 years of his life of like, 30, like being 30 like I was before you have a realisation because a lot of damage can be done in that time. Yep. And some people can get back from, from that damage. Wow. What it's a story. Really, but it's really impactful. Like it's really impactful of what you, what you can do when you speak to the younger audiences and there has not been a, and I can generally try to gauge a talk by when I do it and you'd be the same, Karen, when you present and that kind of stuff yeah. by the feedback that you get after it. And there has not been one presentation that we've done yet that hasn't sparked a conversation after the event. Mm. We're not going into places and speaking with people that are openly saying they've got drug problems. We're going into sporting clubs. We're going into government organisations, corporate, 
there hasn't been an event yet where there hasn't been a conversation that hasn't had someone reach out and say, hey, I could do with a little bit of um, guidance or support here. Now, that might be mental health. That could be um, alcohol and other drugs. But it's amazing by having the conversations that the conversations that it can open up. Yeah. And not only that, that you're actually making it okay. You're taking away the, you know, that the weakness feeling, you know, you, you, you're, you're giving people permission to say, well, wait a minute, this isn't weak. He's just shared his story. You know, I, I, it's okay for me to be, be vulnerable and, and ask for help. And I think that's the biggest thing of all, you know, is that you're making it okay for people to, to reach out. And, and, and also you're breaking down, and a lot of the other stuff is breaking down that stigma because there's yeah. such a stigma um, I think the stigma around mental health, we're really actually starting to get there. I think we're definitely heading in that right direction. The stigma around AOD is still there and it's still very, very large. Like I, I listen to a lot of speakers and that night, just noticed and have a look here and then see what you think. But I looked up AOD speakers, so like TED Talks, that kind of stuff. It's been years, years and years and years since those TED speakers were AOD. It's very much gone into that mental health, yeah, mental health zone now, where I think AOD is kind of yes, it's obviously a very big part of mental health, but it's kind of on the back burner a little bit. And I think it's easier to say mental health, which then culminates AOD in it, yeah, rather than still specifically thinking about hey, AOD is a big problem on its own. Mm. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and it's it's a bigger problem now than it ever was. And, you know, oh, and one thing that makes me wild, and this is another thing why I'm so passionate about schools and that kind of stuff, is the glorifying of drug use on social media, social media platforms of TikTok, and like it's scary having young kids. It's scary having adults. Um, because it's just made to be like when we used to go and have a beer, yeah. that they go and, and do that. And um, I've seen firsthand um, the effects of, of what it can <laughs> what it can really do. Yep. And I've seen first I've seen firsthand, second hand, and you know, um, having to, you know, support a teenager through it. And it's um it's it's it is that whole glorified problem that is a and it's not the glorified, the glorifying it after the fact, but it's the glorifying of just have a pill, just have one, just yeah. you know, go to a party. Who's got a pill? And uh, you know the devastation that that one thing can cause. And you know, I, I'm not going to talk about it because it's not my it's not my place mm. to to speak. But yeah, I've se- I've watched it and I've seen it and I've lived through it, and it's yeah. um. I'm just so glad that you're doing what you're doing and I'm so glad that you're getting into schools and I I pray to God that you know if anyone's listening to this that is um you know is a is a chaplain in a school or is a teacher in a school or or has any influence you know works in a school in any way that can go to the principal and say listen we've got to get marking we've got to get the restoration project to come in because kids need to hear it they need to hear it from you and they need to hear the shit you know you know we we, a lot of the times I used to talk in schools about stuff and they used to say you can't talk about this and you can't talk about that and make sure you don't mention this word and I used to feel so 
and I still do with a lot of schools, feel so restricted, but they're missing, they're missing the guts of it, you know, when they're not, they're not hearing the truth. They've got to hear. And the kids, in a sense, they're trying to protect the kids. And I know the parents complain. I know all that shit, right? I get it. But, you know, how the hell can a kid, how can, how can you have an impact on a kid if they're not hearing the truth? Do you, they, they have to see the truth, you know? So, yeah. man, I hope you get into so many bloody schools and I hope your dream comes true. And, and it's such a selfless dream, you know, and it's it's this is where your shit journey has turned into such a blessing. Well, for your life's a bloody blessing now, but you're also providing an opportunity for potential blessings for so many other people and their families, do you, you know, and I, I just love what you're doing, Mark. I just... Thanks, Karen. And I think probably one of the last things or another thing that I'd like to say is for the families and that kind of stuff is to just never lose hope. Yeah. Like we, we always have hope because you're looking at a bloke right now that they rid off. He, they, they wrote him off. He was... Um, he was going to be dead, um, he'd be in jail, or he'd be out there using, I've been called every name under the sun, uh, worthless, useless, hopeless, the whole lot. You'll never amount to anything. You're just going to do the same. You're just going to keep doing the same shit. And, and that, that man right now is, um, and I don't care about job titles or or anything like that, but I run my own successful business. I'm um, the interim, interim general manager of the largest disability um, employment provider in Gippsland where um, we look after 100 plus staff. Like you can actually achieve absolutely anything if you have a crack and, and you keep, keep, keep going. Like just never lose hope. And if there's people out there that are struggling, if there's someone listening to this podcast that is struggling with their addiction is the only person that can that can make the changes you and if I could say that the one biggest thing in recovery if so if someone said to me um, what is the key to recovery it's self-acceptance simple self-acceptance taking responsibility for your actions owning the shit owning your shit that you've done in your life don't make excuses don't blame anybody else because at the end of the day it all comes down to yourself and if you want to make that change you can there's plenty of services out there there's some great services um, and another thing I do in the restoration project is I can help people um, navigate the services on the best ways to get into rehab facilities and that because there's some loopholes around superannuation there's loopholes around private health insurance and that there's ways to navigate the system um just don't just have a crack because life can be so so good if you want it to be yeah i love that message that um don't give up there's always hope and you've proven it just what you're saying you know look at you we're looking at you and you've done that and you you're providing that hope we, we, our, our situation turned out fabulous as well do you, you know because yeah. of the right support so um oh mark i think you are just a bloody gem you i 
I've told you a hundred times I adore you. I love your guts. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm only saying it so you'll say it back. But no, <laughs> I just I think. Can. I said to Beck tonight, I said, you've got to meet, you've got to meet Karen tonight because you must think, talk about Karen all the time. I better, I better introduce you to Becky. So. <laughs> ah, oh, that's bloody gorgeous. But thank you for all your support, Karen. And um, it's been a little bit of a meeting by chance, but you have people come into your life and you know exactly, and as soon as you actually meet them, you know exactly why. Yeah. Um, and I knew that very quickly with you that we, um, we definitely had something to share. Yeah, absolutely. And just on that, you know, the first time, Mark, I I just saw him on, on LinkedIn and he wasn't even a first contact and I saw a post that he did and it, it touched my heart so much and I commented and told him what a beautiful thing it was and, and I just loved it so much. And this is a, a, I guess this is a message to other people you know, we, we like to have LinkedIn as this professional thing and, you know, everything else. We're all bloody human. And if you see somebody doing something fantastic, give them a bloody shout out, you know, give them a plug, tell them, let them know that you're there watching them and let them know that you appreciate what they're doing. Because if I didn't do that, we wouldn't have, well, we would have connected through the leadership program, but we yeah. wouldn't have connected on this, at the same deep level, you know, yeah. initially. And I think that we've, we've got so many barriers that we keep up. You know, I've got to be professional. I've got to hold my shit together and I've got to only say this. And what are they going to think? You know, screw that shit. Yeah. We need to be genuine and we need to pour our love into other people and cheer for them and tell them what a freaking good job they're doing. That's what we've got to do for each other. We have to and do that. It really does make a difference. And one thing like to like, and not that it matters, not, nor do I have to explain it, but one of the criticisms, and <laughs> as you know, you get criticisms yep. um, in, in whatever you do. One of the criticisms when I um, started the restoration project was um, people saying, a couple of people saying, you're trying to find, uh, get financial gain out of other people's misery. Like it's absolutely never been about that. Do I get paid if I go somewhere and speak? Absolutely. Do I get paid for the hundreds of people that I take the time out to talk with one-on-one -on -one, um, with their families? Absolutely not. Nor will there ever be a charge for that because it's never been about that. Like yeah, I could I could have quite I can quite easily go on about my life, Karen, and, and never speak it about again and live a full and um live a very full life. Yeah, but I do it because I believe in it and I do it because I really don't want people to go through this unnecessarily, and I also do want people to have some hope. Yeah. Well, there's always going to be people like that. You know, it, it, I, I remember going to this seminar once and this guy said, you know, when you're getting closer to your target, it's kind of like an aeroplane, you know, a fighter jet getting closer to its target, you start getting shot at. And I always reckon that the more criticisms you get, the closer you are to bloody really doing that thing that you're supposed to be doing. So, and I reckon the people, I've, I've said it a hundred times on my podcast, I've done a hundred and more on the 100 podcasts, and I reckon I've said it on nearly all of them. People like that are just bloody pissant cowards. People who, buddy, you know, take the, take the just criticise people and pull each other down, it, dead set, they're just bloody 
I can't even, they're just freaking dickheads, do you, you know, and this is why you got to have, I mean it too, I don't care what, I don't care what comes back at me for that because it's just yeah. it's piss week and I think we've got to be supporting each other and this is why it's so important when you get people in your corner who believe in you, just focus on what they're saying, do you know, just it, stick with them. Yeah. And it's funny too because it's really easy to get caught up in it sometimes to let they, that them people to let it have an effect on you. I remember putting up some posts on the restoration project page and that kind of stuff, and you get the feedback. So, and it might have reached two and a half thousand people, and then there'll be a negative feedback. Um, one one person doesn't want to see this post, and not let that like not that you've reached two and a half thousand people and. <laughs> I'd have helped a hundred. I was too worried. What's old mate down here that's asking that says doesn't want to see me posts anymore? But I've learned that you, you're going to have criticisms. That could be someone that can't deal with seeing that, Karen, because they've got a son going through addiction and it's too raw. Yeah. Like it, but it's a fine line to navigate through all that, especially when you're putting it yourself out there. Yeah. And I am mindful of putting myself out there too much because I've got a family. Um, I've got my family in that and there's been, I could have been on the TV, I could be in the, the newspapers and I've been, I've done some newspaper stuff around the walks and mental health and that kind of stuff, but I'm very choosy in, in what I do and who I choose to share my story with. Yeah. Well, it's just gone out to all my listeners. So, you know, you're not, yeah, you're not too bloody choosy, are you? <laughs> i love you now where can people find you so um you don't have a website mark and we've got to get onto that i reckon we need to i've got a um, very good man that i've been speaking to about building my website so that's in the background um it's basically all through my facebook and instagram page at the moment my facebook page is the most active active one um, but all my contact details are on their email, phone number, and people can just reach out and whether that wants to get some more information on, on our talks, um, some information on uh, mentoring and, and those kind of things, just whatever whatever people need, they can reach out. Yeah, fantastic. And they are the Restoration Project, but you can yep. also get Mark on um, LinkedIn as well. So Make sure you do reach out to him um, uh, because, Mark, you're just doing some bloody great stuff. You're probably, you know, it, it, people just having the guts to reach out to you is likely to save someone's life. And then I just think that we've got, we can't underestimate the power of reaching out and, you know, doing this stuff. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining me because this has been fantastic. Thank you for sharing, honestly, um, such a, such a grungy story but you know if we don't hear the facts we're not going to be impacted we're not going to change we're not going to think about it and carry it so thank you so much i just so appreciate you and and everything you're doing yeah thanks very much to you too karen as you know adore you um one good thing too um you know football club have contacted me today and um to go out and present um to the club where I played all of me footy um, and to be presenting to their juniors in the next few weeks. Yep. That's one's going to be a really special one for me because, um, you know, footy club held a very special part in my heart for a long time. So it'll be good to be able to go back out there and 
um, present to the up and coming kids through there as well so looking forward to that one yeah that'll be fantastic all these things are so heart heartwarming aren't they that you know they like they're not just you're not just doing a gig you're actually you're feeling it no. right in the bottom of your belly it's beautiful yeah yeah you think about it all day yeah I know. <laughs> I know uh, all right well i'm gonna let you go but mark i've loved this no Thanks, Karen. you're just a gem so um we'll catch up very soon we keep saying it we've got to actually make yeah. it hurry up and happen so yeah, yeah. all right take care Thanks. Thank you. See ya. Oh, guys, that was fantastic. Probably in a, you know, not a flash way, but fantastic. I love what Mark's doing. I love that he's um, giving hope to people. I love that he's actually uh, come through the other side of such a terrible adventure. Like he says, you know, like um, what would his life be like if that hadn't happened? But and it's all very well that Mark's life has turned out great, but some people don't get that chance. And I, I just love Mark talking about, you know, prevention and education and, like, like let's let's help our kids not get to this point. And, and as he says, and I know personally in schools and around young people, drugs is such a bloody problem. And thank God we've got people like Mark out there. So if, if you belong to any organizational school or something and and you've you, you've got a drug problem or you just want to prevent it let's get mark in get him in for, with the restoration project and and tell a fair income true real raw story to the kids and and hopefully hopefully that'll save a life and i i think that that's not a hard thing to do. It's not hard to email him and get him in. And, and the thought of saving just one kid's life or and saving one family is just, it's priceless. So um, reach out to Mark on LinkedIn, Mark McManus, or the Restoration Project on Facebook and Instagram. And he does have an email that I, I know he won't mind me giving out, is restorationgippsland at gmail.com so i hope you've enjoyed this or at least really immersed in it and um found a lot of value in in what mark's doing i think he's a bloody champion and um i'm gonna leave i'm gonna leave you with it and uh leave you pondering but i i hope it's really touched your heart so i will see you next week and thanks again for joining me see ya Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode, just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.